Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith. Now, last week, I got to chat with Nikki Chancho from Blackstore, who's been focused on reinventing retail and building a model that supports consumers as we all move towards a more circular economy. I loved having that different perspective on things, and so this week, I thought it'd be cool to get another angle on things, this time with a corporate gifting business. Michelle Smith is the founder of Curated with Conscience, a gift box brand that, as the name implies, is doing the hard work of seeking out brands with ethical, sustainable, and purpose-driven stories that match the growing needs of businesses to work with vendors that align with both their own values as well as their ESG directives. As you'll see, far from being a simple opportunist, frankly like many of the other hamper and gifting brands that have sprung up in the past couple of years, Michelle herself is driven by a deep sense of purpose, and it's abundantly apparent that it's those values that have both driven her business growth to date, as well as that will see her through the current challenging economy that we're all experiencing. So with that, let's start the show. Michelle Smith, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, Michelle. And, and firstly, may I say how nice it is to be interviewing another great Smith on the show. But aside from that, I love what your brand stands for. And it's it's great to bring a new perspective onto the show from someone that's growing an ethical and sustainably focused corporate gifting brand. And of course, we're going to get into all the details of what you're doing in a few moments. But before we do, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, what drove you to start up Curated with Conscious in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a, a long, um, I guess, career in conventional corporate marketing, I guess, um, from basically my early 20s. A lot of it was spent in the travel industry, but also in telcos and utilities. So a lot of kind of the, you know, the strategic marketing. Um, but as you know, when you have your own business, um, you don't have the million dollar budgets that you do. <laughs> In corporate, so um, still a big, a very big learning curve. Obviously, um, becoming a, a business owner. So, from an early age, probably about my mid twenties, I um, I firstly became aware of the the, um, the fair trade concept, and it, it first came to my attention um, with the exploitation of farmers in supply chains in, in chocolate chocolate manufacturing, and literally, it's the first I'd heard of it. So, and I was mortified, and I couldn't believe. You know, this wasn't front page news. It was just, to me, it was just the idea that we were exploiting farmers in developing countries and and it was mainstream and common practice. I was just, it really, I felt it really deeply and I wanted to do something about it. And that, that was my first, I guess, awareness of, um, you know, social justice issues and, and I, from there... Um, I read an amazing book, um, Anita Roddick, I'm sure you know her from The Body Shop. So she had a, a book called Business as Unusual. And I remember reading that in probably the early to mid 2000s. And I was like, wow, this just, this is it. Like, this is what I want to be doing. Like, I loved business. I've always loved business and marketing. But the idea that business can be a force for good and business can be, um, drive social change and that she was taking on the captains of industry to say, 
you need to change how you're doing business. Like I was so inspired and I just wanted to be part of it. It just triggered something in me. Um, however, my problem was what do I do with that? So like I said, I was in a, a you know, corporate marketing career and back at that time in the 2000s, like in Australia, corporate social responsibility jobs, if they even existed, I didn't know where they were. I didn't know how to get into it. So I did things like volunteer work, um, you know, and I, I actively looked for brands that kind of, I guess, aligned with my values to spend money with. And back then, um, I guess fair trade and even corporate social responsibility, it just wasn't as mainstream it was today. And it was actually quite difficult finding beautiful brands to spend my money with back then. Yeah. So you know, the seed was planted, but it was a slow burn. Um, and it's, it's, I guess, by nature, like I, I guess I probably... I'm one of those people that I feel things very deeply and it's really like I knew I had to channel this somewhere because it's just, it's not healthy to um, take in all this negativity unless you're going to do something about it. Um, so it, it was a slow burn. So what happened was 2016, I had my first baby and I was at home, you know, as you do as a first time parent or, you know, probably all parents can relate to this, but if you're the primary caregiver, you spend a lot of time alone with your baby and my anxiety was through the roof and the doctor actually diagnosed me as having postnatal depression. I just remember being so stressed out about, okay, so as an example, Trump just got into power in the US and I just thought, oh, my God, like what, what's happening to the world? Like we're just going to hell in a handbasket. And, and at the same time, you know, the, the government, our federal government at the time, you know, almost a decade of zero action on, you know, climate change and, and just that awful moment where Scott Morrison went into parliament with a lump of coal and I was just like, I, I was just internalising all this stuff and it got to a point where it was for my mental health, to be honest. So it's like I need to channel this somewhere because, it's not doing me any favours. It's not doing my kid any favours. So literally um, 10 months later, Curated with Conscience was born. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. I, I've heard a few primary caregivers and especially mums, I think, that have turned to building a business to empower themselves perhaps and give them a, a sense of self back after having a child. But building a business to aid with your own mental health and with all the inherent stresses that that brings is certainly not a run of the mill founder story, is it? Well, I guess um, the thing the thing was that it was I was in action mode then. So you know, because like all of us, you know, with if, if you start a full purpose business, you don't do it to. It's not about money. Like there's, there's a, as you know, there's a deeper level to it. It's it's an extension of you and your values and how you want the world to be. And it, so it gave me back control because yeah. if we kind of took stock of all the issues in the world your mental health is going to go down the gurgler. So, <laughs> so look, I, I feel like, um, you know, obviously it's, I just feel that what was happening in the world was certainly feeding into the anxiety and the postnatal depression. I feel like it was a contributor. So um, I wouldn't say it healed me, but, you know, um, it was, it was definitely a, a direct, a, you know, I needed that direction and that focus and, and put my passion into it that I felt like, I'm doing something about it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting you say that. I was funnily enough having a, a conversation with somebody uh, on LinkedIn the other day where we're, there's a th whole thread going on around 
you know, how do you get over this kind of eco anxiety that is becoming a a real thing in the world and and for me the 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 solution has been taking action and that sounds like what you did you know you 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 said rock there's just no point in sitting here being stressed and anxious and and feeling um disempowered by the whole thing i'm going to take control of this and at least take control of what i can do in the world to make a difference and you did and you and you set up curated with conscious which is amazing so congratulations on on that i mean that was been a journey so that was 2017 you launched 2017 yep yeah yep. right okay and it was, it was so wonderful because um it just it fell into place so even though I have a marketing background and I know that you should, you know, test the market and, and do your qual and quant, I did none of that. I was just like, I reckon this is going to work and I'm just going to do it. And my first two clients were B Corps. So go figure. Well, don't go right. figure. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? So the, the, yeah. the demand was there from the start and no one else was doing this. So essentially what Curated With Conscience is about is that I um, curate premium products and gifts from social enterprises, design-led ethical brands, as well as Australian small batch food and wine makers. In terms of why I did it, there's a few reasons. Firstly, so that purpose-driven businesses can gift to their clients and to their staff members in a way that aligns with their values. Yeah. But also people like me who were looking for beautiful gifts that had that beautiful story and, and social impact story had had an avenue to do that because um, at the time there wasn't a lot to choose from and and also a big part of it was um, so I give two percent of um, revenue to, to causes that I'm passionate about so climate action human rights and also humanitarian aid so it's it's kind of it serves a few purposes um, but first and foremost it was about a beautiful gift in its own right but it's got this amazing layer of social impact and and the stories of how how you're doing good with this gift yeah yeah so it kind of struck a chord straight away especially with corporates i'm gonna guess that certainly by volume corporates the work you do with corporates and businesses you know business gifting is by far the majority of the of, of what you do right yeah it's, it's an interesting question because i have not put a lot of focus on b2c only because b2b has just been so strong for the start from the start yeah so um I should probably book in you with you for a, a session on strategic direction. Happy to help, obviously. But it's interesting because, I mean, obviously you, you said a few moments ago that when you you know you got started, there wasn't many options for this. And obviously things all changed during COVID, right? I mean, there's, I mean, aside from the fact that I would imagine demand went through the roof for corporate gifts, um, for people being at home and care packs and all the rest of it. So I imagine demand went up, but so did competition, right? Because I mean, I was just watching this kind of from a distance going, wow, every five minutes, it seems like there's another corporate gifting company that's coming out. And some of those of course, we're doing something similar. They were doing sustainable things or, or you know, whatever else. So yes. you went from being this sort of unique thing in, in, a, in a decent sized pond to being in a massive pond, but with lots of other people playing in the same space. And yet, when we first met and connected about a year ago, you were just talking about moving into a bigger warehouse. And when we reconnected again last week, you were saying, yes, we're moving into another one now as well. So growth's going really, really well. What do you put down that amazing journey to? Like, how have you managed to um, continue to appear to be, to be different and better? And what's your what's your secret source there, do you think? What's, what's so powerful about what you've driven? So the feedback I've had from corporates is that... <laughs> is that after talking to me, like, it's obvious how real I am about this and how yeah. passionate I am about this and that it comes through, like the passion comes through. 
and 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 these corporates like their values aligned that's why they're talking to me in the first place like I've, I've done some research recently and it's, it's it's the values alignment you know as well as obviously beautiful gifts in their own right so I I think <laughs> I feel like I'm being arrogant at this point in time I feel like I'm the secret source because it's 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 an extension of me, this business, and it's 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 a passion that comes through. But also because I have a you know a long corporate background, I know how to execute and I know how to deliver. And like an executive assistant organizing two hundred Christmas hampers is the last thing they want to do. And I literally can preempt every step for them, so they can almost just handball it to me and know that it'll get done and get done well. And that because it has meaning behind yeah. it, gifts have meaning behind it. They know that the gift recipients. They'll get positive feedback, which obviously makes stakeholders happy who signed off on the budget. So yeah, I think it's a few things with corporate, but very much it's it's been relationship building. I think that's such a brilliant observation that you just made, and and don't don't feel a sense of arrogance about it at all, because um, I literally are, are teaching entrepreneurs to do this every single day of the week, which is you are the leader of your brand and and that means that you have to be out front and it has to, you have to be the one that's building relationships with your customers in your case it's relatively straightforward because you're dealing with high volume but low low number of people for for direct consumer brands of course that's a different a different equation but the main thing is that you are out front and you are selling the values because otherwise you know what you're saying is people are buying on you know for for being for values alignment but how do they know that and what are what are the things that you do to talk about your values alignment how do, how are you approaching that whole conversation yes so really good question because historically because i've been niche and because there haven't been a lot of competitors in this space it's been through search so i've had really great orders come through search um, that is changing, as you alluded to. There's a lot more competition now. And and I guess an interesting position I'm in is that, you're right, those COVID years, the business growth was just insane. And it was almost like, I feel like it was a business growth accelerator type learning experience where I had to scale and make all those decisions and go through the, the um, you know, the growing pains in a, 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 you know, an amount of time where ordinarily you'd think you'd have, you know, more time to prepare. So I had to make big mm. decisions fast. And as a result of that, it was very much about fulfilment and execution because literally, like, yes, there was more competition, but there was so much demand. Honestly, Giles, there was so much demand. There was enough for everyone. No one was missing. Yeah. But then, of course, what happened was what, I sh- what you should be doing as a business owner is building brand equity at the same time. So keep the top of funnel stuff going um, and, and brand building. So I've been, I've done a lot of reading. Um, I don't know if you know Mark Ritson, the former marketing professor at Melbourne Uni, but he writes for Marketing Week and he cites research that whenever there's an economic downturn, it's the businesses that keep up the brand building activity or, um, you know, put more of their budget towards brand building and kind of um, reproportionate. So less about performance marketing, more about brand building they're the ones that um, come out tops with, as soon as things recover. Yeah. And because I was so busy during those three years of COVID, there was no time for brand building. There was no time for any marketing because I couldn't handle the demand I was getting. So now I find yeah. myself in a position that um, obviously, you know, we're facing um, an economic downturn. Although in saying that, just some positive news, one of the business owners here at Click Collective sells electric bikes and he's sold out and he's waiting for his next shipment to come in and it's already a third pre-sold. So Wow, that's not to say you can't still succeed, but definitely for us, gifting—it's discretionary spend. People are—I'm seeing people buying lower price point hampers at the moment as well, so it is happening. 
but yeah. I need to get on the um, brand building, brand equity bandwagon big time now. That's got to be my focus yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, the, uh, you know, a rising tide floats all boats, but yes. the, the ones that are going to succeed are the ones that, that are prepared for the low tide uh, times and, 100%. and can come out of that, in you know, in the right place. And uh, that's exactly right what you just said. That's it. And just on your comment about, you know, every man and his dog started a hamper business. That's true. But they're all closing, not all, yeah. but so many are closing now because the demand isn't just falling into everyone's lap anymore. Um, yeah. So it's, it's the people who stick it out. And that's where values comes in because that's the beauty of people who have sustainable um, businesses or, or um, for-purpose businesses is that it's such a big part of you. Like you're not in it on a whim. Yeah. You're not just jumping on board because it's, oh, there's a lot of demand out there. It's it's part of you and you believe it and you're passionate about it. I think it holds um, businesses, for-purpose businesses in better stead. It 100% does. And, and of course, the, the challenge then is then all about making sure that that message about being for purpose, being that that message about the values that you're driving, about the, in your case, the sort of the brands that you're selecting and why they're better and all the rest of it, that message has got to come through, right? And, uh, you know, that's that's why it's so incredibly important. So it's really interesting you hear about that. And, and, and I don't doubt for a second that, you know, you being the front person for your brand is absolutely one of the key differentiators. I don't doubt that for a second. I mean, you clearly are passionate about it. And that passion is uh you know that comes across but it's also very compelling when when somebody is looking who do i buy from do i buy from this one or that one they're going to choose you know between two essentially on the outside same looking companies they're going to yes. choose the one that they get they're most excited to work with and 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 you know, if you're putting yourself out the front they're gonna, it's going to be you every time yeah thank you yeah so i love that so how do you go about choosing the brands that you work with what criteria do you look for and you know because obviously you you the whole thing is curated right so you you're you're very conscious about the choices you're making with what you put in your hampers so how do you go about that yeah well first and foremost it's got to be customer first so i um you know customer needs so for example a lot of corporates you know it depends okay so if if it's a gift so some gifts are given to individuals obviously um some gifts are given to teams and they need to be shareable. So I think with customer and end use in mind first. Um, so we have a hamper called a graze hamper, which is very popular um, as an example. So it's it's it's, it's wine from a, a five-star rated um, winery out at Harcourt in Victoria. And it's, it's a certified sustainable winery, but it's a top-notch wine in its own right. And that's um, married up with a cheese board, which is actually from... Um, handcrafted in the Barossa Valley by a, um, a father and daughter small business on their rural property, they actually collect um, wine barrels from local wineries and upcycle into cheese boards and, and amazing wine barrel products, all kinds of products. So there's an amazing story behind that. And then I have Sisterworks um, Fig Jam. So Sisterworks is a, a social enterprise that um, Melbourne-based that supports, economically supports female um refugees, asylum seekers and migrants in Melbourne. And, and the recipe is actually um, one of the sisters, they, they call them the sisters, um, her family recipe from Iran. So, like, this stuff, you just can't, it's worth us waiting gold, all these stories. So yeah, that, that's one example of how I'd, I'd curate a hamper. And then, obviously, I also support, like, local uh, food and wine makers as well, but small batch. So, you know, putting money into local economies as well. So I guess that's an example of my thought processes for one particular hamper. Fantastic. And I saw that you had um, all 
renewable energy generated hamper that's going there as well, which I think is really cool. Tell us about that. Oh, that's my favourite. So climate action is something I'm just hugely passionate about. And I absolutely love working with the Climate Council. They're just wonderful people and the stuff they do is just, um, it's just so inspiring. So essentially I reached out to my suppliers to find out who's using um, solar power and um, based on that put together a um, a gourmet-style hamper. So the products obviously still have to be complementary because the the end um, product, you know, has to be marketable and and. And also, like even the box is made using renewable energy, so it's totally um, runs. It's, it's totally authentic. And then ten dollars from every hamper sale, I donate to the Climate Council. So we've had that relationship for about three years now, um, and looking to build further on it. Um, but I just love that I'm directly contributing to um, you know help help at least in some way tackle the climate crisis in my own business yeah absolutely brilliant so i mean you know just to sort of summarize that you, all, all the things that are in your hamper including what it's made of are things that have been produced with renewable energies and then 100%. and then you're enabling impact off the back of the purchase with with donations to to the climate council what do they do with that money do you know have you followed the thread of of what actually happens with it not specifically the, my money but it goes into um, public awareness campaigns and lobbying for um uh, you know, climate positive policy. So, you know, it's definitely, because that's the thing I, I think is important as well. Like there's no use not being political in life because that's where the decisions are made. So um, it's important that the, you know, people at the Climate Council have the funding and the um, the resources to lobby for change at, you know, government levels as well. Yeah. But I was just, you know, I, I guess like a little aside, like, you know, the teal independence, like when I heard of the Climate 200 movement, Again, I was like, "This is this is this is perfect. This is exactly what we need." And we saw this, the success of the teal independence. So it just heartens me to know that you can feel like you're, a, um, I don't know, a bit alone in all these issues. But the fact that so many um, people voted for teal independence for a clim- climate action agenda, like people care, and I just there's momentum there, and I just want to keep going in my my own way, my own little way. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. There's momentum there. We I talked about that about a year ago after the election, saying you know it's, that was probably the most startling thing out of that federal election, wasn't it? Just the absolute burgeoning group of teals that managed to to get in for the first time. We'd never seen anything quite like it, and and that that can only be due to the environmental. Uh, policies that they're putting forward right i mean that's the only the only factor so um okay so you've got this amazing brand it's growing really really well you you know you're curating you i can't say that word you're <laughs> curating these amazing uh hampers very very carefully with the brands that you work with and so on and so forth you you're continuing to grow you you've you've hopped from one warehouse distribution to another how are you generating the momentum like what are you doing from a marketing point of view that you think is really working for you obviously when when people when the leads come in you're talking to them so you're converting them which is great but how are you getting them in in the first place yeah so my answer is going to be boring and I think it's boring but consistency in the day-to-day activity like it's you know consistency with the you know talking to your, your customers on your database consistency with your content creation but also around that I'm trying to build better systems around not having to reinvent the wheel for every campaign. So so trying to get some refinements and, and um, improve logistics around um, time to market for campaigns. So it's it's kind of back to basics for me. Like, you know, the market is, our sales weren't what they were obviously during COVID. They, they weren't 
you know, they're not for any hair company. But it's 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 remembering what you're all about, remembering what you stand for, making sure you get that message out, being consistent with that message, but also inviting people with um, offers to buy as well. So, you know, those calendar events, but also things like, you know, International Women's Day, you know, give authentic gifts that actually um, align with the values um, yeah. of International Women's Day. So proactive with messaging. Um, look, there's no um, secret source to it. It's consistency. It's yeah. boring consistency. <laughs> there's, well, there's nothing there's nothing boring about consistency. Consistency, I think, is one of the hardest things to achieve, you know, because in, in this world where we're always looking for the next sale, we're always looking for the next client, we're always looking for the next quarter's growth, it, mm. it's always tempting to kind of chop and change and try new things, which is great, but you have to have a consistent message. Otherwise, otherwise it all falls on deaf ears, and in fact, you're not building a brand. So I applaud you for being consistent, but I'd, I'd like to go a little bit deeper if that's okay. You talked about, you know, um, consistency of content and and yep. putting the content out there but how are you doing that where are you doing that like to what what channels are you using you know how what, what have you found that's working for you yeah so um search is still extremely important for us and i'm actually um i'm lucky that because i've been in business five years the referral side of business is strong for us as well right. fantastic so yeah, which is, you know, that's every, everyone's dream, really. Yeah. That, look, I, I'm certainly not an expert in this, in that um, I need to be on LinkedIn every single day. I'm not. <laughs> that's that's where my, my audience, that's where the executive assistants are. Yeah. Um, look, in saying that, though, that's, that's not fair. They also, they're also on Instagram, yeah. you know, they're humans at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. It's hard to answer that question because I haven't got it perfect yet. I haven't got it perfect yet. A lot of it's because I've been around five years and I get referrals and and search because of my you know niche nature of my business. No, and there's no perfect, right? Um, whatever's working is working, which is great to hear. So, if a brand is thinking, "Hey, I I've got a I've got a really great story. I've I've got I'm doing some things ethically. I'm doing some things sustainably." How do people mm-hmm. start working with you, Michelle? How how would they offer up their brands as as something that you might want to um, put out in your in your hampers? Yeah, sure. So first thing I look for is, you know, is there in, in its own right, is it a be- beautiful product in its own right, first and foremost? Uh, because at the end of the day, like we spoke about this briefly last week, when when people purchase, it's not necessarily the um, the environmentalist who's on the front line or the picket lines, you know. It's the mainstream who have a social conscience. And if they've had the opportunity in front of them to spend their money in a way that aligns with their better aligns with their values, then they'll take it. So first and foremost, beautiful product, inspiring story behind it. And yeah, Australian made or at least Australian in Australian business. Um, and then I do, I get emails every day from, yeah, from suppliers um, looking to join the range. So it's literally send an email to admin at curatedwithconscience.com.au. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay. Very, very cool. Very good, Michelle. Well, what's next? Do you think on your horizon for the next 20, 24 months ish? What are you? What are your? What are your big yeah. exciting plans that you're just? You, you know, you're bursting out of your skin to get across yeah. the line. So much. <laughs> so I've I've taken a bit of a chill pill at the moment. So because we are going through a, a you know a quieter period, it's it's a it's a time of kind of reflection and re- review, and especially you know um, during economic downturns, it's, it's important to optimize for the bottom line. Okay, so, you know, simple things like how many subscriptions do I need? Do I really need a type form subscription? You know, all those kinds of things that add up. Um, with my packaging, how can I include improve time to market, you know, with the hamper, picking and packing? So reviewing packaging. I'm also 
um, redoing my website. So Shopify 2.0. So, um, yep. So redoing the website and again, um, optimizing conversion. So, you know, because you have to fight for sales these days, the traffic mm. I get to the site, I need to make sure it's optimized for conversion. So it's a kind of a lot of, I feel like it's um, a consolidation period at the moment. Yeah. Um, but going forward, the dream is that I would like to have, so it's not official, so I don't know if I can, <laughs> okay, I'll just put it broadly. So I've got the Melbourne operation that will be at a social enterprise. So I'm creating employment um, for a marginalised a marginalized group, but I, I can't tell you who yet because it's not announced yet. Um, I'd love to have it up in Sydney as well, a similar setup in Sydney, and I'm talking to a social enterprise up there. So a lot of my corporates are in Sydney. And it would just make sense if I could um, have a local presence in that market because, as you know, couriers, Australia Post, especially around Christmas time, can be um, fun and games. Yes. So, But it would also allow me to offer same-day delivery and things like that because corporates more and more want that. Um, Especially when you've got large volume of things all going out once. You've got a big corporate that's sending out to 300 staff and you know, you only need 5% of those to go wrong for them for that relationship to be a bit tricky. Because at the end of the day, that's all reflects on you, regardless of whether it's in your control or not, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, that's it. And I'm also looking at potentially um, developing with with um, a social enterprise some of my own products, so potentially as a sub-brand. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's lots and lots of things kind of swirling around my head at the moment. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a lot on your plate, and and it's and it's very exciting. It's always fantastic to te- to speak to someone like yourself who's who's building a very much for good from the ground up, for good business, for good brands, dealing with and and helping not just other amazing sustainable ethical brands in Australia, but also then servicing the need uh, and building as well, into a degree, the need within corporates to buy better as well. So, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to with you, and 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 best of luck for the the balance of this year as you go through your consolidation. Thank you so much. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. And firstly, I want to take a moment to recognise the economic conditions that we're in. Paid media is super unpredictable at the moment. Household budgets under pressure and inflation is pressuring our cost base. If you're feeling it, firstly, it's good to know that you're definitely not alone. But Michelle shared a couple of simple but oh-so-important practical suggestions in this episode. Take a look at your ongoing subscriptions. Are there things in there that are nice in principle but aren't generating sufficient income to justify the spend? E-commerce is rife with apps left, right and centre and I can almost guarantee that there's cost bleed happening right now in your business that you can nip off. Personally, I've just panned a whole bunch of subscriptions that have saved me about 500 bucks a month. So go ahead and review your P&L today for things that you can get rid of. Just as importantly though, Michelle mentioned that in hard times, it's the brands that focus and invest in brand building that are best placed to accelerate into the good times. Brand building means a combination of awareness and story. And I think you heard loud and clear how important story is to Michelle, not just her own story, but the stories of the brands that she works with. So take some time out and take a fresh look at your story. Is it compelling? Is it clear? Is it consistent throughout the customer journey and between channels? If it feels woolly and if the customer isn't clear on your story after interacting with your brand, then it isn't working for you as well as it should. And the one thing that you can count on to build your brand through this period is not performing well enough. 
Secondly, I want to take a moment to address something that I see quite often with small business owners, which is the hesitancy to acknowledge their own importance as the leader of the brand. And dare I say it, the leader of the movement that your brand purpose seeks to actually create. It's abundantly clear that the growth of Curated with Conscience has been driven by Michelle's passion and values and how she communicates and infuses that into the conversations and relationships she has with her clients. Now, if you're building a DTC brand instead of mostly a B2B brand like Michelle, don't make the mistake of thinking that this advice doesn't apply to you. It just takes a slightly different format. It means that you need to be on camera, fronting up for your brand on socials, on your site, in interviews, in media, projecting your passion and values and telling your story. It's as important now as it has ever been. Never forget that your personal brand is a powerful asset in building your business brand too. So I hope you found today's chat with Michelle insightful, some truly powerful lessons in there. I'll be back with you next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>